You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to daily podcast for all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton. I'm a longtime Marlins writer, as well as a prospect analyst and writer. And in today's episode, we are going to recap the abysmal ball game between the Marlins and the Phillies. That was looking up for a good portion of it, especially after Jazz Chisholm turned around 101 miles an hour from Jose Alvarado for a two-run shot. But unfortunately, the Marlins dropped that one by a final score of 8-3, to three, thanks to a seven-run bullpen implosion in the eighth inning. Rare from the Marlins to have that bullpen implosion, especially from Dylan Floro, who surrendered five runs in a third of an inning. All of a sudden, after not giving up any runs for 12 innings, I'm sorry, I think I jinxed him on that one too. But that was uh, something that was interesting because you look over the last few outings, he had given up one to two hits in almost every single one of his last five outings. So he was giving up some contact more so than he was the preceding outings uh, where he was lights out before that, but was still able to pitch these scoreless innings. Uh, It looks like it just got to him a little bit in this one uh, and did not look good. Obviously gave up the five runs, but then Curtis came in, wasn't much better, didn't help him by pushing across a couple of those runs when he inherited the runners. And uh, Alec Bohm looked a lot better, was swinging the bat pretty well. And I think Bohm is a sleeping giant, is going to start to get going here for the Phillies. Look, the Phillies are a good team and they're a great team at home. They're 14 and six at home. So this is a tough series for the Marlins. Uh, They got another good start from Cody Petit, which I'm going to discuss as well. And then I also am going to talk about the prospect situation and uh, who we could see called up. Cough, cough, Jesus Sanchez and why it needs to be done pretty soon. A little bit more on Adam Duvall, the defensive wizard out there in right field who just continues to wow us. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Of course, how the Marlins can boost this offense internally uh, because it just is not optimized right now lineup wise. I just don't think that they are doing the best things that they can to be able to put their best lineup forward given the circumstances, but also externally, there's one obvious position to upgrade, which I feel like I talk about every day, but it just gets highlighted as a worse and worse issue for the Marlins. And I will present some different reasons as to why the Marlins need to upgrade in certain areas that I have not presented before to kind of further that point. But let's start with the positives. And positive number one is Cody Petit, who again, another really solid outing, maybe even better than his previous outing because he didn't really have any mistakes in this one. He goes five innings, three hits, no runs, two walks, three Ks. The fastball changeup combination was the recipe for Petit, but he actually threw the slider uh, quite a bit as well. But what I liked about the changeup is he located it well. He was able to get a lot of guys to ground out, swing through it a couple times. He got five whiffs on the fastball as well, a total of nine whiffs, which is not bad at all for him through those five innings. And you know, for reference, Zach Wheeler, who gets a lot, a lot of whiffs, got 17 of them. Uh, but that was also in a bit more of a sample size. He pitched a bit longer than my boy Cody Petit did, and he also is $200 million more expensive. So that's also a factor. But 
we know how special Zach Wheeler can be and how good he has been this year. So not even comparing their outings, but they were pretty comparable and respect that Cody Petit went toe-to-toe with him. I think overall, we saw a changeup that has gotten better uh, from the last two games. It just gets better each time we see it. He had a 42% called strike whiff rate on it, which is really encouraging. He was able to get some called strikes on it, get guys to foul it off. Uh, Just not really a pitch that anybody was able to hit well. Only two of the 12 pitches that he threw that were changeups were put in play. Uh, Same with the slider. He threw it 18 times. Only two of them were put in play. And then the fastball. He got a lot of foul balls, weak contact, 14 foul balls on the heater, five whiffs on the heater, which is really solid as well. Uh, He was just all around really solid. Uh, Stayed around the strike zone, mixed it up well. And I think Cody Petit earned himself a third start. We talked about how he earned himself a second start. Well, make it three. He's ready to go for another one because until he falters, you got to just keep rolling him out there instead of these bullpen games where we've talked about the Marlins three-man rotation. Well, for now, looks like they found their fourth guy. And they're only going to go around the rotation maybe two, three more times before we see Eliezer Hernandez back, presumably, assuming he doesn't have any setbacks. So a couple more starts for Petit. But then also, once Eliezer comes back, then Petit can take over that fifth spot. I think that could be uh, his spot for now. I mean, he could also hit a wall and not be the guy that he's been his last two starts. But for now, until proven otherwise, he has to be a guy that's in your rotation. Again, I don't think that Cody Petit is this star pitcher in the making or anything like that, but he is a lot better than his 2019 numbers or even 2019 video would suggest. His velo has risen. He topped out at 97, was averaging around 94 miles per hour on the heater, which is not what he did in 2019. The breaking stuff is better. The changeup is better. His stuff is all around better. He's getting more swings and misses than he did in the 2019 minor league season as well. So he's a bit of a different pitcher than we had seen in the past for better. I think that there's a shot that we have a potential back end of the rotation arm here. And I hate to be that guy that already is like, you know, somebody emerges and are like, trade him. But the Marlins have so much pitching. For now, they could use the depth of Poteet as he has, you know, slid in and been a really good arm for them. But once they get Eliezer back, once they get Sixto back, once Edward Cabrera is looking healthy and potentially could slide into the rotation, hopefully that's before the deadline. And then you maybe have Nick Neidert starting to you know, settle in and be more of the guy that you think he can be. I think he's looked pretty good through his first couple outings in AAA, though the walk's still a bit high. Braxton Garrett was surprisingly pretty decent. You know, if all these guys are starting to look like uh, potential starters uh, and they're all going to probably be a little bit more projectable than Poteet, then maybe you start looking at Poteet as a trade piece after showing what he could do at the major league level. He's cheap, controllable, still 26 years old. Uh, That's kind of a nice little added bonus for this team is that if they want to put together a a trade package uh, and a team wants a little bit of a throw-in instead of a lower-level guy, the throw-in could be a big league-ready arm. I think there's some value to Poteet as uh, a cheap, controllable arm that seems to be getting better. He's going to have to do it for more than two starts, but let's say he fills in and puts together five, six good starts, and uh, even if the Marlins don't keep him at the Major League level because Eliezer and Sixto come back, if he's continuing to put up numbers in AAA after putting up numbers in the Majors, then I'm sure a team would be interested and, and want to uh, you know, snag a controllable and seemingly reliable starting pitcher that throws strikes. So there's some value here, no matter what the Marlins decide to do. I mean, an extra starting pitcher that's young and controllable is nice. So let's hope that these improvements are for real. I think they are encouraging so far. I think he's definitely going to have some bad starts here and there. It could come in the next outing. But this was a tough matchup for him in Philadelphia 
a lineup that is good against righties in a hitter's park, and he was great. He didn't even have to get a ton of uh, strikeouts to be effective, and he only gave up the three hits in five innings. This is a good lineup. I was really impressed, and I mean, we saw what the lineup did to the bullpen afterwards. I mean, it wasn't like they were dormant all game. It was Poteet that kept him in check and Bender in relief. And then other than that, you know, they got really ugly really fast. So I think it was a really encouraging outing for Cody Poteet. I'm going to discuss some of the Marlins offense and how it looked in yesterday's game, the positives, the negatives, as well as the games ahead. And of course, uh, where the Marlins could use some boost and a little bit of a improvement. I think there's a few different places, but I will emphasize certain spots where the Marlins are just very, very thin uh, that I think you may know about, but is something that is just worth highlighting and contextualizing with some numbers. Also, Corey Dickerson is quietly slumping a little bit, and Jesus Aguilar is quietly 0 for his last 12. Of course, right in time when Jazz Chisholm comes back, uh, the guys that have been carrying the offense in the meantime start to slow down, and now BA starting to swing it, and those other guys slow down. So it's just wild. But I'm going to talk about the offense and all of that good stuff and then the games ahead and some other things in just a moment. Before that, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Wealthfront. Day trading can be a lot of fun, but if you want to grow your long-term wealth and make it to the moon, you should open up a Wealthfront investment account today. Decades of data show that investors who trade individual stocks underperform the market every year. In fact, only 1% of day traders beat the market. The odds are not in your favor and if you're doing it alone, especially they are not in your favor, team up with Wealthfront instead. Investing can be complicated, but whether you're a beginner or you've been investing for years, Wealthfront makes it easy. They have the right tools for every portfolio. Wealthfront can create a portfolio of globally diversified, low-cost index funds personalized just for you in minutes. No manual trades, no picking stocks, no watching the stock market every day. They automatically handle all of the investing based on preferences that you control. Wealthfront can even help you lower the taxes you pay as you invest. For the average client, their tax loss harvesting can more than cover their low annual 0.25% advisory fee. Best of all, it's automatic. Wealthfront is trusted with over $20 billion in assets, and you can get your first 5,000 managed for free by going to wealthfront.com backslash locked on MLB. All you need is 500 to get started. To get started and get your 5,000 managed for free, all you have to do is go to wealthfront.com backslash locked on MLB. That's wealthfront.com backslash locked on MLB and get started today. Also brought to you by our friends at Built Bar, who has nine delicious flavors. They're all covered in chocolate, easy to chew, and great for a keto diet because they are low in sugar, low in carbs, low in calories, and high in protein. What else could you want from a protein bar? Built Bar has it all. And on top of the delicious flavors that range from everything from coconut to cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, and everything in between, there's a flavor for everybody. And best of all, they are covered in chocolate, easy to chew, and are 15% off if you use the promo code LOCKED15. That's LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. Go check it out. I think you'll really enjoy all of the flavors that they have to offer. BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15, LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order. So let's recap a little bit of the ball game on the offensive side of things, and then we will talk about the games ahead and also where the Marlins can improve. Uh, there's obviously some areas they can improve. The Marlins were kind of due for a bullpen implosion. I hate to say it. They haven't really had that so far this year. Every team is susceptible to a bullpen implosion, no matter how good your bullpen is. Yes, the Marlins have blown some saves, 
But that was largely before Yimmy was in the closer role. I believe Yimmy's only blown one save. And, you know, that's something that happens with a lot of teams early on, too, as they settle settle their bullpen and, you know, the roles that go with it. I know that it's frustrating to see it implode, especially when the offense is so hard to come by. And, you know, the Marlins only had one run going into that eighth inning before the two-run shot by Jazz Chisholm off of Jose Alvarado, which in itself was just so incredible. A high fastball, 100 miles an hour uh, at the top of the strike zone, maybe even a ball up and he turns it around for a homer. And, and, you know, that's just another example of, you know, what I tweeted was, we don't need to see anything else from Jazz. We've seen it all. He turns around 100 miles an hour, elevated left on left. We we don't need to see anything else. Uh, the only two home runs hit off of 100 mile per hour pitches are both by Jazz Chisel this year. So if there's any question about whether he can handle higher velocity or if his swing is too long or if he's too much of an uppercut and all those things that I've seen people say in the past, uh, I don't think so. Uh, you don't hit 101, 100 elevated if you have too long of a swing or if your swing is too steep. It used to be a little bit of a concern, and he has uh, put those to bed quite a bit. So let's look at the game yesterday. So obviously, Jazz had a good game, two for four, the two RBI, and the homer. Rojas adds another hit. He has been swinging a good bat. Aguilar quietly 0 for his last 12. Duvall went 0 for 3, but did have a big RBI, and also had a just put on a clinic in right field. Threw out my man Alec Bohm, trying to stretch it to two just continues to make great plays out there and it's just offering so much value again top five in the nl in defense or not nl sorry top five in major league baseball in defensive war and he's not playing every day he's not playing as much as everybody else he's playing close to every day now but he was not playing every single day out of the gate and uh you're seeing the defensive value there if the bat comes around and continues to trend the way it has over the last two weeks even if he's just half decent with the offense. He can hit 220, honestly, but if he hits for power and if he's walking a little bit and plays the defense he plays, there's there's value there. Obviously, I'd like to see him hit a bit better than 220, probably more in the 240 range with what he's able to offer power-wise and defensively, then you're going to get a lot of value there from a Adam Duvall who has not really given that much value offensively. I think his offensive war is like 0.1, then the defensive war is like a full win. He's a full win above replacement just from defense. Uh, Brian Anderson, two really good swings, especially the one swing he put on fastball on the outer half, took it the other way and drove it down the line in right field. That's what we need to see more of from Brian Anderson. Hopefully that's a sign of things to come. When we look at Sandy Leone, 0 for 4 with three strikeouts uh, and uh, two were swinging, one look in, then he flew out to left. Uh, Sandy Leone ain't it. He ain't it. I'm sorry. And neither is Chad Wallach. And maybe, maybe Jorge Alfaro is. I could tell you Jorge Alfaro is definitely better than these two guys. But something about the catching position. And I know it's beating a dead horse, but this is important because not only are the Marlins options right now at the catching position just abysmal, but also Jorge Alfaro is not really looking healthy right now. He keeps getting hurt. He's gotten hurt already multiple times this year and has returned and then gotten hurt. And then now on the mend, he has another setback. And I really want to see Alfaro return and be healthy. And I'm all for giving Alfaro a shot at this point. I still think they should go for a higher end backup. And I think that's even more uh, emphasized now. No matter where you stand on Alfaro, if he was 
a superstar catcher. I would still argue that the Marlins need to look at a better backup option than Sandy Leone and Chad Wallach because there is definitely some legitimate concern that Alfaro is going to uh, be a bit injury prone this year. He's just not able to stay healthy. He keeps retweaking some of the same injuries and uh, that's definitely a concern. And you don't want to have such a steep drop off from your starting catcher to your backup. And it's not like your starting catcher is some star either. Uh, He's not really been anything uh, to write home about. He hasn't been that consistent, but he's obviously a hell of a lot better offensively even when he's inconsistent than what the Marlins have right now because right now the Marlins are 28th in OPS at the catching position with a 36% K rate a 520 OPS and a 36% K rate and honestly Jorge Alfaro's small sample size actually boosts some of those offensive stats Uh, so really what the Marlins are getting out of Wallach and uh, Sandy Leone is closer to the 500 to maybe sub 500 OPS range I mean at that point you have a black hole in your lineup and it's not even the pitcher it's also with the pitcher you have a combined probably 300 or 350 OPS right now between your catching position and your pitching position and I know everybody else has pitchers hitting too but it's just such a gaping hole when your catchers are that bad you piggyback that with the fact that I know Sierra has put some better swings on the ball as of late and, you know, has looked a little bit better, but he's another guy that is just never going to produce anything substantial OPS-wise. He's a slap-hitting singles guy that plays good defense and, you know, has some game-changing speed, but the Marlins are third to last in the league in home runs. Uh, They are missing one of their most productive hitters in Starling Marte. They need more production coming out of that spot. I think Duvall is showing that he's more than capable enough to play center field. And I think the Marlins need to go with Duvall in center and enough of Magnera Sierra getting these starts. You can spot start him here and there when the offense is clicking maybe in other areas. But right now you are so starved for production that you need to go Duvall in center. He's more than good enough, clearly. And he held his own in center when we saw him out there. And then you need to either call up Jesus Sanchez, which I think at this point, he homered again. It was an inside the parker, but it was a blast to center field. Call up Jesus Sanchez and unleash him right now. I mean, I want to see Cooper get some at-bats. You can get Cooper those starts against lefties and have him play right field, and those starts against lefties are clearly the days where you want to give uh, Jesus Aguilar an extra day off because the Marlins seem to love giving Aguilar those extra days off. That's where you can start Cooper. So between the lefties and the one day off a week that Jesus Aguilar is seemingly guaranteed, you'll get at least two to three starts out of Cooper, and you know he gets a lot of at-bats off the bench. I know that we want to see him get going a little bit, so maybe you give him a few starts before you call up Jesus Sanchez, but I think the you know the potential that the Marlins could get out of somebody like Jesus Sanchez who may have figured it out, uh, that's something that they really need right now, and another left-handed bat that can swing it in the lineup, that can hit for some power. I know Cooper offers power, but he's not doing it right now. I mean, even though he's been hitting a little bit better contact-wise, the power hasn't been there whatsoever, and look at what Jazz Chisholm did. Look at what he's done to spark plug this lineup and this offense. And I mean, he's done it in so many ways. Again, just getting this guy back at the top of your order. And I'm so glad he's finally just a fixture at the top of the order. I can't believe we had to like lobby for that uh, to get Jazz into the leadoff spot. It just made way too much sense. But finally, they made that decision. I'm glad they did. One of the few times that I've begged for something lineup related on here and it ends up happening. Uh, he also set the tone before the home run by you know scoring that run where he was able to leg out a hit and then was able to steal a bag, then get to third and then the sacrifice fly by Duvall to give the Marlins the 1-0 lead in the fourth. So that's just the way he's able to manufacture runs even when he's not leaving 
the yard. Jesus Sanchez isn't quite like that, but I think Chisholm's swinging the bat a hell of a lot better than we ever imagined he would uh, after the struggles last year. I think everybody knew he, he had this potential, but we didn't know if he was going to tap into it this quickly. Jesus Sanchez is doing the same thing. And imagine the boost that Jesus Sanchez could potentially give this offense if he even is remotely close to what he's doing in AAA. I think just having that offensive potential from Sanchez is just such a big boost right now. And uh, I think they need to look at it. I think we need to get to the point here where you're calling him up because this offense is just struggling way too much. They're towards the bottom of the league in power. Uh, Cooper isn't looking like he's offering much power. And obviously, if you're starting Magnera Sierra, you are not offering much of an offensive option. He's hitting 220 with no power, no slugging, nothing. So you move Duvall to center. I don't think the defense suffers that much. And then you have a Jesus Sanchez in right field. It's a no-brainer, in my opinion. Offensively, you are getting a huge, huge boost while also getting ABs for your young guys. If we were talking about it before the season, why weren't the Marlins making a big splash? Well, Kim Ang said, we don't want to block our young guys. Well, one of your young guys is ready. Call him up. I don't think you need to see much else from Jesus Sanchez, and I don't think you need to see much else from your major league team to figure that uh, they need some help. They undoubtedly need some help, and Jesus Sanchez is that guy. Uh, in the meantime, you know, I don't know when we're going to get Starling Marte back. And, you know, that that's a factor in it too, right? Like, do you call up Jesus Sanchez, but then when Marte comes back, now all of a sudden you send Sanchez back down? Like, what do you do? That part of it I understand. Um, but then, you know, you could argue that then when do you ever call up Jesus Sanchez? So in the meantime, we might as well see what he can do. Let's say Jesus Sanchez is raking at the major league level. Would you rather have not had that happen? Would you rather have just stashed him and never seen him rake at the major league level? Like, this is a good problem to have. Uh, and I think, you know, if you're the Marlins, if Jesus Sanchez is really swinging it, then you can evaluate some other options and see what else you'd want to do with your outfield. You can decide between Duvall and Dickerson and see, you know, who you think is more worthy of being a regular if Jesus Sanchez is really, really swinging it. I mean, who knows? I love the way Dickerson has looked to start the year, but he's not hitting for a ton of power. So if his average continues to slip, uh, then he's not bringing as much value as potentially a guy like Jesus Sanchez can if he's hitting for power. So there's a lot of moving parts here. And, you know, we know the defense from Duvall is going to be more valuable than Dickerson. I still think Dickerson is swinging a good bat and we got to, you know, just ride it out because he was so, so good through the first month of the season. And it's kind of just been like guys taking turns of heating up. But I think this is the perfect time to kind of get some of your answers where you are able to start Dickerson, Duvall, and Jesus Sanchez all in the same outfield and just see how it goes. You know, if Duvall continues to step up defensively and offensively and Jesus Sanchez is raking and Dickerson struggles, then you start to have an idea of maybe what you can do with the lineup there. Or if it's a different situation where Duvall goes back into a slump and is striking out a ton and Dickerson's swinging it pretty well, then you, you kind of go from there. And maybe Jesus Sanchez is your everyday guy and Duvall is more of a platoon against lefties and defensive replacement guy and spot starter. If Jesus Sanchez struggles, then you send him back to AAA and you know that uh, you, you're not going to count on him as much maybe for a call up later in the season to give you a boost. So why not get some of these answers now and, and figure it out? Uh, also, I mean, when you're getting a 500 OPS from your catching spot, I, I think the Marlins need to address that ASAP. I still think it's ridiculous to keep rolling out these inept catchers you have right now. And I hate saying that, but it just it is what it is. They really are not major league caliber catchers. Chad Wallach is striking out like 40 something percent of the time. Uh, Sandy Leone has been really, really bad. Uh, I just don't get it. I, I really don't get it. And, you know, there's options out there. The Marlins have more than enough prospects to be able to go get a decent catcher. I keep 
keep saying Jacob Stallings. How many times do I need to say Jacob Stallings? I don't think the price tag would be that ridiculous. He is cheap and controllable and also would boost this team so much. And I, even if you want to give Alfaro a little bit more of an opportunity, you can still give Alfaro a couple starts a week. But right now with the setbacks that he's having, there's a lot of concern that you know he may not be able to stay healthy. And that's aside from his inconsistencies at the plate and behind the plate. Even if Alfaro is playing at a high level, I still have my concerns that even if it's not Jacob Stallings, I think you need to go get a higher end backup like they had with Francisco Cervelli uh, until he got hurt just to give them a better chance and a bit better insurance policy than uh, two catchers that really are, are not even uh, major league backups. They're not. So, I mean, that's something that I think they really need to look at and explore. I'm going to talk about some of the games ahead for the Marlins and a little bit of a quick report across the minor leagues in just a moment here. Before that, a reminder that this episode is also brought to you by betonline.ag. We have baseball season in full swing. NBA playoffs are underway. NHL playoffs are underway as well. The Panthers facing a 2-0 deficit against the Lightning. Hopefully they can climb out of that. And if you want to bet on that, betonline.ag is the place for you. They've got live betting scores, odds, and news, and all the latest things in the sports world that you can imagine. BetOnline has it all. And best of all, if you go to BetOnline right now and use a promo code Locked On, that's one word Locked On, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's a 50% welcome bonus with the promo code Locked On. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So let's discuss some of the games ahead and then a little bit of a minor league report. The Marlins have their best arm as of late on the mound against Zach Eflin, who's been sneaky decent so far this season uh, for the Phillies. So it'll be Rogers versus Eflin, and it should be a fun one. I mean, uh, Miguel Rojas has swung a really good bat against Eflin in his career, right around 300, I think literally a 3% whiff rate against Eflin. Other than that, not many of the Marlins have much uh, experience against the Phillies. It'll be fun to watch Rogers versus Harper, Rio Muto, and some of these other interesting bats and see you know how Trevor Rogers uh, rises to the occasion. It's a little bit of a shorter porch out there and right. Uh, how is he going to pitch to these lefties? I'm, I'm interested because we know he's had a bit of reverse splits. He's better against righties so far this year. So how does he look against a guy like uh, Bryce Harper? I'm assuming he's going to go right after Harper. And I love when Harper takes those big swings at the high fastballs and he like fouls him straight back. It's always like, oh, he just missed that. But I- I'm good with that. I mean, challenge him. He fouls two off. All of a sudden it's 0-2 and you got him right where you want him. So I'm excited to see how Trevor Rogers is going to challenge uh, Bryce Harper, how he's going to challenge JT Real Muto and some of the other guys in that lineup uh, that are pretty darn good this year. I think he's going to give Alec Bohm some fits as well. Uh, Zach Eflin, like I said, he's been pretty good. But then game three in the series, Sandy Alcantara is going to look to bounce back. I think this is a really big start for him. Not the easiest spot, but he has been really good against the Phillies over the last season and a half. So a great matchup for him maybe to bounce back. I know it's not the best park in the world, but he's a ground ball pitcher. Shouldn't affect him too much. And he loves to pitch against the Phillies. Um, You know, that bottom feeder mentality. And he's going against most likely Vince Velasquez, who the Marlins actually own. They own Vince Velasquez. So this could be a good matchup for them in game three. I know I'm supposed to be not talk about the matchups anymore. So I'm not going to say like they should win this game. I'm not going to say that. But what I will say is it's an opportunity for Sandy to bounce back. If he doesn't bounce back, then uh, we're going to have a podcast probably talking about what's going on with Sandy. So uh, it's either going to be Sandy bounce back or what's up with Sandy, because I'm going to start to get concerned, not on like a macro level, not on like a long term season level of like, oh, gosh, what's going on with Sandy? Is he losing it? But more so of just like, why is he in this funk? 
Hopefully we won't have to deal with that and that won't be the topic, but also it is interesting. I think when you look across the pitchers in baseball, Vince Velasquez is one of the guys that the Marlins hit as well as anybody. And a lot of the guys in the lineup are the same guys that have hit him well in the past. So if the Marlins don't hit Vince Velasquez well, I think that's also a storyline of like, okay, this offense is definitely stalling out a little bit right now. Uh, They also will go and face the Mets. Uh, That will actually be at home. A three-game series over the weekend where they should have some of their uh, guys going. I think the Marlins may end up seeing DeGrom again, depending on when he returns, but it should be a fun series as well. But the Mets are very banged up too. Quick little minor league report, which uh, the, the minor leaguers for the Marlins, you know, there's a lot of swing and miss right now. I mean, there's no way around that. Uh, there's a lot of guys striking out. The pitchers are striking out a lot of guys, and it seems to be the trend with baseball in general, right? I mean, it's it's become a pitcher's game where guys are just getting punched out like crazy. Gerard Encarnacion, though, has looked really good overall. He's really impressed me. The fact that he has been probably the best hitter for the AA Pensacola Ball Club, 144 WRC+. Plus. Sure, the 39% K rate is a little high, uh, but he's still getting adjusted to AA. I think it's a big jump for him. But overall, he's been really impressive. I mean, the WRC Plus speaks for itself at 144, much higher than anybody else. Next highest is Lazaro Alonso. Everybody's walking a lot. I think it's mostly the command issues that we're seeing across uh, just the game with a lot of these pitchers. But Max Meyer, a great bounce back start in his last outing. We know how good Jake Eater has been. And then looking at the uh, high A squad, Zach McCambly, after the seven perfect innings, not quite as good. He had the swing and miss stuff. I still thought he looked pretty solid, but the fastball at times can flatten out and he gets susceptible to the long ball. He gave up four home runs. Uh, That was definitely not ideal, but he was still able to be competitive with that. So I think that is somewhat encouraging. Uh, When we look at the bats at the high A level, I mean, it's been a bit of a struggle for a lot of these guys uh, on this Beloit team. Uh, Connor Scott has been great. 165 WRC plus uh, leading the ball club with a 22% K rate, which is crazy that that's the lowest K rate, but that's very encouraging to see that Connor Scott is putting it together and hitting for a little bit of power. Uh, the next highest WRC plus is Devin Harrison, but he hasn't quite had enough of a sample size, though he's been swinging it pretty well. So somebody that might be worth following, but still very early for him. Griffin Conine has been red hot. He did have a bad ball game yesterday, but I think the whole Marlins team struck out 15 times, but over the weekend, he hit three home runs. He's walking nearly 20% of the time, 145 WRC plus for Griffin Conine. Meisner has really been struggling, 36% K rate, 47 WRC plus. He's just not hitting 176 batting average. I'm not too worried about Meisner yet, but uh, he needs to uh, step it up, no doubt. He's got all the tools in the world, but it's been a tough go for him. I've been really impressed with Zach McCambly, of course, and Kyle Nicholas, both striking out more than 30% of batters they're seeing, and the command has been decently solid. I'm excited to see Kyle Nicholas's next start. Looking at the Jupiter level as well to wrap up real quickly, uh, it's been a bit of a offensive output for some of their guys. I think J.D. Orr is ready to go at high A. I think the Marlins need to move J.D. Orr up to high A. He's 24 years old. He's mashed already in A ball last year. He's not striking out. He's hitting the ball well. He's so speedy. I want to see him at the higher levels. Federico Polanco, Maybe the guy that could end up salvaging this deal for the Marlins. And by this deal, I mean the Yelich trade because the Marlins ended up trading Jordan Yamamoto for Federico Polanco from the Mets. And he's looked great so far, albeit it's a ball and it's only 33 plate appearances. But Polanco has been swinging a hot bat. And uh, wouldn't that be funny if that ends up being the best piece that they get out of the trade? Naz Nunez, a little bit inconsistent at the plate, but stealing a lot of bags, was leading the minor leagues in stolen bases last time I checked. Victor Mesa Jr. is heating up, uh, and I'm really high on him. I think he's a 
top 10 prospect in this system. And Osiris Johnson, I'm not sold on the bat, but he's showing the power that he can offer. Uh, in terms of the pitching, Yuri Perez is just a stud, 18 years old, and is a behemoth of a man, and is throwing gas, and the command is a little bit better than I thought it would be. Could still improve, but it's better than I thought it would be. And, uh, I mean, that's the guy to watch with that ball club. And I'm really excited to see what he's going to do. Sean Reynolds also on the mound. Kind of interesting to see him on the mound as well. I'll be doing full episodes diving into the system very soon and talking about, you know, certain prospects and the numbers behind them as they get a little bit more of a sample size so I can, you know, have more reasonable takes on these guys, but it's always fun to follow up and see how each of them are doing. As always, thank you for listening. I really appreciate you spending your Wednesday listening to me talk about the Marlins and I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow. Hopefully Trevor Rogers can keep things rolling for himself and force a rubber match in game three by picking up a win today in game two. Look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.